No, it's just funny. I like keep thinking about, so if we manage to destroy ourselves, like destroy humanity, just, you know, we have nukes, things could go wrong, right? And some future civilization just like finds Ice Cube. Would they think this is like some religious site? Like, is this where the holiest and most incredible people traveled to like pay tribute to their neutrino overlords or something? And so, I don't know, I wonder what this looks like. It sounds like a good topic for Ice Cube fan fiction. Yeah. <laughs> I like it. Welcome back to Relatively Certain, a science podcast straight from researchers at the University of Maryland. I'm your host, Chris Caesar. And I'm back with a tale that takes us to the ends of the earth and lands us right on top of a whole bunch of ice. So cool. Hi, I'm Liz Friedman. I'm a third year physics PhD student at the University of Maryland. Friedman is trading the mild Maryland winter for the bitterly cold summer of Antarctica. I sat down with her before she made her days long journey to Amundsen Scott Station at the South Pole, one of the most desolate places on earth. Sure, they have the internet, but only when the right satellite is overhead. All that isolation is worth it, though, if your goal is to detect neutrinos, these tiny, incredibly light particles that fly through us about 100 trillion times a second. They come from all kinds of things here on Earth and across the universe. They spew forth from radioactive elements in the Earth's crust and from nuclear fusion in the sun, and in even greater numbers from things like exploding stars. But despite their abundance, they typically zoom by without leaving a trace. It's the reason Friedman's going to Antarctica, to hunt neutrinos. So the game of detecting neutrinos is they don't like to interact with anything. So they just go through the entire Earth as if it's not even there. And in some ways, that's great because it makes them cosmic messengers. They can carry information in a straight line across the universe. So they don't get bent by magnetic fields. They don't get bothered by clouds of dust in the way, the way light would get interrupted, you know, neutrinos just travel in a straight line. Which is all well and good, but it makes detecting neutrinos really hard. But if you keep careful watch over a really big target, and if you wait long enough, eventually one of the trillions upon trillions of neutrinos will interact with something, and researchers can catch a glimpse. It turns out the, the ice at the South Pole is a nice big target, and there's not a lot of stuff around, so people don't really mind if we just claim, if we just divs this this plot and just build something there. And that's just what they've done, funded primarily by a grant from the National Science Foundation. A team of hundreds of scientists from around the world designed and built Ice Cube, a neutrino observatory frozen in the miles thick shell of ice that covers the South Pole. Friedman's only recently joined the Ice Cube collaboration and a related project just getting underway. So it will be her first trip to the pole. But many others like Kara Hoffman, a physics professor at UMD and Friedman's advisor, have been making the trek for years. The first time I went down there, there was this mixture of dread and excitement, you know? I didn't quite know what to expect. It's The experience of getting there is just really exhilarating. I mean, just, uh, you know, the first time you land on the Antarctic continent and, you know, the sun is, is up all the time and you land on the coast and then there's another flight up to the pole, you know, another three hours. Once you get there, uh, life can be a little bit monotonous once, because, you know, there's not a lot of contact with the outside world, you know, and you're very confined when you're not out working um, to the station. The excitement never completely wears off, but the second and third time you're more focused on what you need to get done and, and your mission while you're there. 
For Hoffman, that mission was Ice Cube. But for Friedman, it's a new neutrino observatory, still under construction. Before we talk about that new project, though, it's important to appreciate that neutrinos are just one part of a more complete cosmic picture, a picture that's been coming into sharper and sharper focus since this one discovery more than 100 years ago. So once upon a time, people thought, um, people understood radiation, they were studying radiation, and um, they thought, well, all radiation must come from uranium or something you could be, that could be mined out of the ground, because that's where it was first observed. So um, there was a physicist named Hess who decided he was going to get into a hot air balloon and go to, to high altitude um, with an electroscope. And if this was correct, then he should see radiation levels go down as he got further and further away from the Earth, which was what happened to a point and then it started to go up again. So that's when it was realized that there was radiation bombarding our atmosphere constantly from cosmic sources, and um, those sources were unknown. Ice Cube is part of the pursuit to understand the sources of cosmic rays, and it does it in unique style. Ice Cube resembles a massive, spindly, alien jellyfish, complete with 86 dangling tentacles that are each two miles long. Each tentacle holds a few dozen super-sensitive cameras, spaced at regular intervals, that detect very dim light. On the rare occasion that a high-energy neutrino actually interacts with ordinary matter, like the atoms in the ice, it can eject other particles that then leave behind traces of their presence, things like electrons. These electrons zip around, leaving a faint blue glow in their wake, called Cherenkov light. Ice Cube's sensitive cameras can spot this light, which lets researchers figure out how much energy the neutrino had and what direction it came from. So it's sort of the ultimate X-ray vision for the universe. But although Ice Cube has detected the first ever intergalactic neutrinos, for the really high energy stuff, Ice Cube is just too darn small. I mean, basically Ice Cube is named Ice Cube because it's roughly a cubic kilometer. Of ice. Of ice. Of ice. Of ice. The highest energy neutrinos are just so rare that you need to put much more ice under surveillance in order to catch them. And that could get really expensive. Luckily, there's another way to spot these outliers, and it's the reason Friedman is heading to the South Pole this year. A new detector, proposed by Hoffman and others, that looks for radio waves instead of the blue light that Ice Cube trains its digital eyes on. It's called the Ascarian Radio Array, or ARA for short, and the physics it relies on isn't all that different from Ice Cube. So the way we actually detect the neutrino is we're looking for, for Ice Cube, we're looking for Cherenkov radiation, and for ARA, we're looking for the Ascarian effect. And these are basically the same thing. In addition to a little bit of blue light, the highest energy neutrinos release lots of radio waves. And because radio waves are so much longer than waves of blue light, ARA can cover a much bigger block of ice with fewer tentacles than Ice Cube. Just instead of sensitive cameras, each tentacle will have a bunch of antennas. There are already three ARA sites drilled into the ice of the South Pole, and Friedman will be going down to install equipment for the next two or three. That includes the latest version of ARA's power supply, which Friedman built. I think I came in on the end of two. Like, I think I built board, some, num some board for version two off of Sun Schematic and didn't know what anything was and didn't know how to fix any of it and didn't know where anything went. And then over version three and kind of talking through the changes, I started to get more of it. And now with version four, I like, I know all the pins. I'm like, oh, okay, so we need pin seven of, you know, the microcontroller or whatever we're talking about. And so I kind of learned as I went. 
she became especially familiar with the unusual challenges presented by an environment that's pretty different from a lab back home. So, okay, having something run at the South Pole is a tricky game because as soon as you go even a a couple feet, even just like a meter down into the ice, you're pretty consistently at minus 55 Celsius. Uh, The air temperature can change, but right under the ice, it's pretty cold. You need to design equipment that'll work that's down in the ice at that temperature. It's hard to buy things off the shelf. They need to be really robust. All of these things need to be rated down to minus 55 degrees Celsius. That's not so common. The RS Smart Power System has two components. It's the the DAC, D-A-Q, the data acquisition. And that's all the signal stuff that connects fibers down to the antennas that takes all of the all of the signal. You know, if an antenna says, hey, I just saw a radio wave from a neutrino, I'm gonna send you that information. That all goes to the DAC. The other half of the RS Smart Power System is the power supply. It gives 15 volts to the data acquisition, to the DAC, and it gives 15 volts to each string where each string has four antennas on it. Those power supplies, along with a bunch of other equipment for the team installing the next two or three ARA stations, was all shipped to the South Pole ahead of Friedman's arrival. She'll spend several weeks installing and testing her creations before leaving them behind in the ice. Fingers crossed that they survived the looming Antarctic winter. It's really cool to have this thing on ARA that like I built. I built this from scratch and I helped, you know, I helped fix it when it was broken and I learned a bunch of things along the way and I'm gonna get to go help make it work at the end of the world. And it's just a, it's a cool feeling. So I'm excited. Thanks to Liz Friedman and Kara Hoffman for taking the time to explain the physics of Ice Cube and Ara. When Liz gets back from her deployment, we'll sit down with her, chat about life down at the pole. Stay tuned for a new episode featuring that conversation in a few weeks. For Relatively Certain, I'm Chris Caesar. Thank you.